following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. The Gentiles, the, the ones who don't follow Jesus, think they will be heard for their many words, their eloquence, saying all the right phrases and saying it loud enough so that all the people can hear them, see them. This gives me great comfort when my prayer is help, and that's all I got. This is, a, this is an echo of something we talked about last week, uh, performance-based Christianity. Um, our prayers are not more effective the longer they get. Like, I finally have the Lord's attention, and now I can really pour it on. Um, um, They're not more effective if they're more eloquent. They're not more effective if we say, Father, every other word. Oh, Father. Thank you, Father. For the Father, Donuts Father, this morning, Father. Lord, 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 Lord. It's funny, but if you've been around long enough, you've heard this. And, uh, yep, it's not more effective. It's it's like saying, um, really. Uh, You're just filling space with noise. Um. Um, I don't know. (laughs) This is why I write it down. I don't have to think about what to say in between. There's also a key, another key difference um, between Matthew's record and Luke's record. And this has been a topic of much conversation in the church. Um, Matthew records Jesus saying, pray then like this, and then gives them the Lord's Prayer. Luke records Jesus saying, and when you pray, say this is this is not a contradiction con, con, right um, this is this is not this is not a restrictor of prayer this is a broadener of our understanding of prayer my spell check didn't like that word but it's a broaden it can broaden our understanding of prayer. The fact that the Holy Spirit included both pray then like this and when you pray say this, the fact that the Holy Spirit included both in his word means that this prayer of Jesus is good for us to use in its very words. We can recite it and we can say it and it can also be a formula for prayer, categories in which to pray. Both are good. What that means, what I mean to say is that if you want to memorize the Lord's Prayer and recite it daily, go for it. If you want to use the Lord's Prayer as a framework for how you pray and what you pray for, go for it. I I was saying to someone this week in preparation for this message that we've had a lot of, like, run-through-the-ringer sermons in the last few months, really. I've been feeling drugged through the knothole backwards. Um, This is a... Relax. (laughs) I'm so grateful. If you want to memorize the Lord's Prayer and recite it verbatim, do it. If you want to use it for a category for how what you pray for and and just as a focus for how you pray... 
do it, provided you're not just heaping up empty words rather than speaking to the Lord from your heart, from who you really are in your guts, not for anybody else. I think there's wisdom in going into your room and closing the door and pulling the shades and being alone with your Father in heaven. You can do that. What a wonderful privilege it is that we have. My prayers are not more effective than yours. I'm happy to say that. When you call me to pray for you, I will because I love you and you are my brother and sister or sister in Christ. But my prayers aren't more effective than yours. With the when you get the rev, you don't get level 2 prayer, you know. I don't have special access or anything. Nothing like that. The Lord wants to hear from our hearts. So I'd like to give our time this morning to examine examining the categories and the formula of the Lord's Prayer. And again, this is a prayer that the Lord gave to us. He didn't pray this for himself. He wouldn't have any reason to say forgive our sins because he didn't sin. He was giving us tools and help. Because as John Calvin wrote, it was not the intention of the Son of God to prescribe the words which we must use so as not to leave us at liberty to depart from the form which he has dictated. His intention, rather, was to guide and restrain our wishes, that they might not go beyond those limits. Hence, we infer that the rule which he has given us for praying aright relates not to the words, but to the things themselves, the categories in which we pray. And just like the, Lord, uh, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer has kind of two tables inside of it. Remember how the Ten Commandments, the first four, all relate to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second six have to do with loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, the Lord's Prayer has two distinct um, sections. Even within Luke's very abbreviated version, which the scholars believe was the more accurate words of Jesus, and in Matthew's version, uh, words may have been added uh, later on. doesn't make them wrong, just different. Just like the Ten Commandments, the first portion of this prayer is concerned with the glory of God and the second with the good of the person praying. So let's look at those component parts one at a time. The first part, the first word, is the most important. And a thousand sermons could be preached on this one word in this context. And in that day that Jesus said it, this word was the most controversial of the entire prayer. And the word is Father. What made praying to God and calling him Father controversial? Is it controversial when you pray? Say, Father? No. Nobody cares. Not at all. Well, this wasn't written in 21st century America. This was written in 1st century Israel. It's not at all controversial today. It's a popular notion that God is the father of all people ever. Aren't we all God's children? No, we're not. That's not true. All of creation is not God's children. That's what you thought you were coming to hear today. 
We are not all God's children because God is our creator. We are creations of God. Yes, that is true. That does not make us his children. It is true that everyone ever was created by God except for Jesus. We are not his natural children based merely on his creation. The only way to become a child of God is through adoption. When Jesus called God Father, the first century Jewish understanding was that Jesus himself was claiming to be God. You can't call God Father unless you are God's son. If you are God's son, you are equal with God. Right? This, was, this is exactly what the Pharisees charged Jesus with that led to his crucifixion. This was a big deal. You call God Father? Everybody does, even if they're wrong. This was very, very different. John 5:18 says, "This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. That was not OK. That was also not true. Jesus refers to God as his father in all of his recorded prayers, except for the one prayer recorded from the cross in which he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as controversial as it was for Jesus to call God father, it is also beneficial for us, his disciples, to call him father. In fact, it is the it is only because we are his disciples, that we are able to call God Father. Because it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that one is adopted by God as his child. That's it. That's the only way. We can't call on God as Father without faith in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us his children. There's no other way of praying rightly without dependence on the mediator, Jesus. As Romans eight fourteen through 16 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Abba. Modern translators like to say that's like saying daddy. And maybe it is. But it's not just a nickname. To call God Father, to call God Abba, is a deep emotional connection. It's not just a title. I I know it's not a fair comparison, but I think about the first time my kids could say, Daddy, and I'm something different to them than any of you could ever be. God the Father is something different to us than anyone else could ever be. When we call on him as father, it's more than a title. It's a connection. 
through adoption, through faith in Jesus. Abba, Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Hallowed be your name. It means that the name of God is to be revered as holy. That the Father deserves all the glory and the weight and the worth that we could ascribe to him. That the glory of the Lord would shine in the world and be duly acknowledged by all of mankind. His name should never be used as a curse word. Nor should his name be thrown around and slandered. His name is holy. This was explained to me just this idea of holy by another word that sounds just the same because of English. He is holy in that he is wholly other. He is completely different in every sense of the word than we are. Part of modern day idolatry is actually not that modern, but we try to make God an acceptable version of ourselves. We might we try to make God like us so that he's more relatable or that he's more controllable. But God, our father, is wholly other than us. And that's what makes his grace so amazing. We can't stand the sight of his holiness in our sinfulness. We can't stand in the presence of God without the covering of the blood of Jesus. That's what Judgment Day is going to look like. Without the blood of Jesus, those people who did not have faith in him will not be able to stand. He is wholly other than us. His name is holy and we should regard what he says to be right. There's a popular notion. God said it, and it's right. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. We must regard what he says to be right no matter what. We must embrace his word with the obedience of faith because he stands completely apart as something wholly other and completely higher than us and much more trustworthy than us and our feelings and our desires, which is only based on selfishness and pride. He is wholly other than us. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I used to think that this meant the return of Christ, that Jesus is praying for his own return, and he was, but he was already there. So that doesn't make sense anymore. Which is good. Excuse me. We were returned. We are in, uh, I, I used to think that we were instructed to pray for the coming of God's eternal kingdom, the, the return of Christ. And the truth is that the date for that is already set and we can't change it. And God the Father is the only one who knows it. And he's not going to change it even if we ask. Even Jesus doesn't know the day of his return. So in reality, in praying for the, for the Father's kingdom to come, what are we praying for then? We're not praying for the return of Christ. We're praying for the coming of his kingdom on earth. We're praying that for his reign 
in the hearts of mankind through faith in Christ, through the preaching of his word, through the work of the Holy Spirit. We're praying that the gospel would go out and his kingdom would come. That's the whole idea. That's the whole point. That's what we're here to do, is to share how to get into God's kingdom, that his kingdom may come here on earth. We are praying that we would subdue the desires of our flesh. And if you think about this, what, what is prayer as a whole other than the admission of our powerlessness and the acceptance of his almightiness? That's kind of been a theme in the Gospel of Luke. When we pray rightly, we submit to the power and will of the Father in our lives and in the lives of those around us. I think we ought to check our prayers and see if they sound like that. The first half of this prayer is the same as the first half of the table, the first table of the law, loving the Lord your God, your Father, through faith in Jesus, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means submission to his will. That means recognizing him as holy. That means faith in Jesus for adoption as sons and daughters of God. So what about the second half? In the second half, we can see Jesus' concern for our present, our past, and our future. Give us each day our daily bread. When we pray, Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying for our present, our present situation. Is it wrong to pray that the Father would provide temporal necessities for daily living? No, obviously not. When we're struggling financially, is it, is it okay to pray for money so that I can pay the bills? Of course it's okay. It's, Jesus tells us. Daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What we need for today. There's a restraint built in for us. And that's to restrain our desires. And to teach us that we depend every moment on the goodness and kindness of God our Father. This is not to teach us to depend on God. That's just a matter of perspective. This is to teach us that we depend on God, whether we realize it or not. Now, there is certainly a, a, an aspect, a mental aspect of depending on God, recognizing your dependence on God and letting that grow. Because, man, good luck holding your molecules together without God's intervention. Doesn't happen. Would, uh, Sam and I were talking about an old joke, the challenge between the scientist and God. Scientist says, hey, God, look, we can, we can clone sheep and we can, we can create sheets of neurons uh, that we can connect to computers and they play video games, which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of, but it's true. And the scientist said, we can create life out of dirt, just like you did. God says, okay, let's put it to the test. So the scientist collects the dirt, and God says, no, 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 make your own dirt. 
we are totally dependent on God, whether we recognize it or not. That's one for the ages. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Our daily bread is a prayer for our present. And here we pray about our past, even if it's the very recent past. First of all, let me be clear that Jesus is not saying that our forgiveness is based on our forgiveness of other people. Right? Forgive me as I forgive my neighbor. Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Nope. I always made that mistake in my mind. Boy, if I don't forgive, God's not going to forgive me. Well, there are some passages that address that, but that's not our subject this morning. Jesus is implying that we ought to ought not be so bold as to ask forgiveness of sins without the willingness to forgive others. It is involved. And what's interesting about the phrasing here, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Huh. Was that somebody borrowed five bucks? Somebody borrowed my garden rake? Somebody borrowed my you know, ratchet wrench and I still haven't seen it? No. Sin is a moral debt. When we sin, we incur a moral debt to God. And we can never repay it. When Jesus died on the cross, one of his last words was tetelestai. It's translated, it is finished. Which is a poor translation. Tetelestai is a financial term. It's used in banking. Jesus said, the debt is paid. Your debt, mine, is paid through the death of Jesus on the cross. The moral debt that we owed God has been paid by the blood of Christ. And only by faith in him can we receive the credit for that payment and add it to our moral bank account. That's the word imputed. God paid the debt. And he's covered you with that forgiveness. I think debt forgiveness is a wonderful term. I don't know about the concept, but it's a wonderful term. Because that's the truth. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that your debts to God could be forgiven. And every time we sin, we incur more debt. And finally, Jesus instructed us to pray, lead us not into temptation. And here's a prayer for our future. We prayed for our present, asking for what we need for today. We pray for our past, that our sins would be forgiven, that we would forgive those who are indebted to us, who have sinned against us. And here we pray for our future. Lead us not into temptation. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth 
death. It's not God that leads us into temptation. In fact, unless God himself delivers us, we will constantly and consistently fail. All we know how to do in our own flesh is sin. That's our native language. It's what we do best. Let's be honest. It's also our favorite thing. Let's be honest. We have no strength to live a holy life. I, I, I apologize. I said this was a relaxed one. And I'm, wow, I couldn't have missed the mark further. We have no strength for living a holy life except that we obtain it from the Father. Our prayer is that God will lead us away from the situations and circumstances that will test our resolve against both the inward and outward pressure and desire to sin. You ever, you ever pray for God to interrupt your internet? You ever, you ever pray for uh, whatever news channel you get your information from, if you can call it that, to, to go out? <laughs> That's a great prayer, right? Uh, we are constantly bombarded with opportunity to sin. We are constantly bombarded with temptation to sin and get distracted. Even if, like, it's not, okay, so I didn't murder anybody, sure. But I didn't do the things I ought to do, you know. I, whatever they happen to be. We're so easily distracted. Maybe that's a way that we can alter our prayers. Not just lead us into temptation. Lead us away from distraction. We can focus on what's most important, and that's Jesus in our relationship with him, and our understanding of who he is and what he's done and how he wants us to live. And it's all written in the word. You all have one of these. If you don't, there's one in front of you. That's yours now. We've got plenty more. We have what we need. We're just distracted. The devil wants to tempt us. He wants us to fail. The devil wants us to be destroyed, not just to, you know, your random sins here or there. He wants us to deny Christ and thus be destroyed. But look at your flesh. Look at your carnal desires. Are they really any different than that? They're not. We don't need the devil's help. We're really good at it. Screwing up our own lives. We're really good at making bad decisions. We're really good at using pride as our base operating system. We don't need anybody else's help. You know, people sin before the Internet. It wasn't invented in 1994. I'm sure Sam will correct me on the year. That's my earliest recollection of the Internet. If we're left on our own, we would destroy ourselves for sure. Without the Father's intervention, we are done for. John Calvin wrote, Whenever we engage in prayer, there are two things to be considered. 
both that we may have access to God and that we may rely on him with full and unshaken confidence. Friends, I don't know that we recognize what a great gift prayer is. We get to kneel before the Almighty, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and we get to call him Father through faith in Jesus. And our Father wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is him. The Lord's Prayer gives us a framework for prayer, a framework for worship, a framework for submission, for dependence, and forgiveness. Martin Luther put it, the Christian prays a never-ending Lord's Prayer. This is just like breathing in and out for us, folks. This idea of submission to God dependence on God for forgiveness, the strength to forgive others. We want to do God's will, right? In our heads. When we pray this way, we put it in our hearts and we pray a never-ending Lord's Prayer. Amen? Maybe we ought to pray it. Even now. I don't know if you have this memorized or not. We tried to teach this to the kids when they were little. And you can't just read Luke because you won't get it all. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.